Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awakairangigitai, where I'm recording today. Hello again. Hello. Are you feeling more rested? Are you more restored? Back Definitely in your more rested. Had an early light, early night, a couple of early nights. Yeah, feeling better. Mm. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. So hard to get over, like, the travel ergy. Just traveling is hard. It is hard, and it's always harder coming home, I think. Yeah, I think it depends on which way you're coming, but I definitely think like that hemisphere to this one is the hardest one. Like going to the US, I never feel like it's that great. Like it always takes me a really long time to settle in. But if I mm. come back, I'm like, oh, it's not so bad. So I really do think it's like going that way around the globe. Like if you're coming back from the UK, <laughs> it's just a nightmare. I don't know why. It seems like if you go east every time, it's worse. So go I west feel like every time. It might also just be time. Like, the more time you spend in planes on airports and then you are less likely to be annoyed by that if you're going somewhere because you're like this looking forward to it it's like how yeah. when the return trip in a car is always quicker than the journey there because you're like i want to get there and then you just want to get home i don't know like planes are the opposite somehow <laughs> i always joke that i love driving to canberra but the thing i never say is that i really don't like driving home from canberra <laughs> It's, yeah. it's a completely different road. I don't know how. I Like, it's the same route, but coming back, I'm just like, geez, it takes forever once you get on the M's and you're back in Sydney. It's like, come on. I just want to be there. I'm on the M's. It should be, like, right here. Never is. It's always an hour and a half. Yeah. Drags oh, it out. It does. Oh, well. Uh, what sparked joy for you? This what sparked week? joy for me? So, I mentioned it in the last podcast, but I didn't go into detail, so I'm going to talk about it this time. I went to see Frank Turner play a show Mm. here in Wellington at the Hunter Lounge which is like a student union bar so it's not very big and it was really lovely like the first time I saw Frank Turner play was in 2009 maybe 2010 (gasps) when he opened for Green Day at Wembley Stadium so it was big 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 so this was a very different experience and it was just really lovely like he's got his roots in punk but he's way more of a folk musician I would say like Mm. in a true punk sense that kind of like I'm angry about the state of the world but I want to change it I want to do something about it not in a nihilist punk way so a lot of his music is actually really uplifting and it's about trying to be better and be kind and do good things and there's a real joy in his music as well and he was really good at engaging the crowd like people were really into it very engaged but as you know my favorite brand is Frightened Rabbit and the lead singer Scott Hutchison died in 2018 And, you know, it was really sad, really tragic. And Frank happened to be a friend of Scott and he wrote Mm. a song for him, which he played at his show. And he went into this whole thing about how this was for his friend Scott, who was the singer of this band. And there was like three people cheering, including me, because as you know, big fan, got a fighting rabbit Mm. tattoo, the whole thing. And it was just so lovely. So he sang the song for Scott and it was just beautiful. And I, for a moment, it was like Scott was on stage with him. I could feel like if, I felt like I could see him on the stage because I had oh. seen Frightened Rabbit perform many, many times. And I could just imagine him up there. And it it really moved me. And I was kind of very teary because I feel like when you lose people and, you know, Scott took his own life after a very long struggle with mental health issues and his family are very mm-hmm. open about that. And there's a great charity called Tiny Changes 
that was started, his brother started in his name to help support Scottish youth through with mental health issues. Yeah. So we'll put a link to that in the show loads. But yes, please. there is very few moments where you get to be in community and remember someone like that. And I was just really, really grateful for the opportunity to, to have that and to share yeah. that moment. And with someone who had obviously really cared for Scott and really loved him, like I didn't know him personally, but he had a massive impact on my life as musicians often do. And it was just really a really beautiful moment. So I'm really grateful for that. And I just wanted to give Frank a shout out. That was great. I love that. And I love that there was just that wonderful moment of like memory and communion and yeah, community inside of this this grief, but there was joy in it as well. That's what yeah. it's all about. Just, I mean, there there does come a time when it still hurts to remember the people that we lose, whether we're close to them or not. Like, mm. it's still a big loss. You you don't hurt as much, and I think that that's something to keep in mind. It's always going to hurt, but it might not hurt the same. Yeah, and I love the be joy in that too. I love the description that it's not that you grow past your grief; you grow around it, and I really mm. love that. Like, you get bigger. But your grief, your grief stays the same, but you get bigger, you grow. And I, yeah. I kind of love that analogy. That's so yeah. true. Um, what sparked joy for you this week? Uh, well, I have sort of a twofer. Um, so the <gasps> one, the first one is a bit of a downer for my kids. But um, I just kind of cracked it yesterday and I'm very much a carrot, not stick parent. But I had had it. I was up to my eyeballs <laughs> with their naughtiness. And I thought, it's the television. Like, I, they have just been watching this show and it is making them really rude <laughs> so I took the power cable for the TV away <laughs> and I don't know when I'm going to give it back because they've had such a wonderful day they have been reading they've been crafting they've been coming in for cuddles I have not had any rudeness at all wow and the only thing that changed is that they don't have the TV cable <laughs> so like I had been threatening to do this for a while because I was like guys honestly I'm not loving this. I'm not loving the way you're talking to me or each other or dad. Um, so that was actually quite joyful to have this, like, nobody melted down after the first hour or so when there was a lot of complaining. It just kind of settled. And then this morning they woke up, still no TV cable, and they just got resourceful. Mm-hmm. And I'm really proud of them for that. Um, so that was part one is that, like, oh, thank goodness they're not melting down every five seconds. <laughs> I'm really loving this. It's nice and quiet. Um, and then the second thing is it's the one year anniversary of picking up our puppy. So we've oh had my our gosh. puppy for a year, officially. I can't believe it. So I went out and gave her a big cuddle and uh, she tried to steal all my towels. And so we played tug for a while with her towels, which are the old scrunchy ones that I don't care about. <laughs> so, Oh, happy gotcha day, Bella. Yeah, I'm very happy to have my puppy. She's still a handful. She still jumps all the time. She still likes to chew on things, but she is mine and I love her. Yeah. And she really is my dog. Like, no one else will claim her at this point. And I'm like, but she's great. And they're like, yeah, but she poops everywhere. <laughs> she makes, she wants to play all the time. And I'm like, isn't that wonderful? No, mom. No. So she's definitely mine. <laughs> no, she's just a puppy. I know. I know. She'll settle eventually. Three she to will. five more years and she'll be fine. <laughs> she'll be the best. She's yeah, already the I best, so she'll just get better. <laughs> and slower, hopefully. That's not quite so quick. Mm. I did find one of my tennis shoes up the street this week, so that was the thing <laughs> that happened. That was her fault. <laughs> so I was like, okay. All right. Got to make sure those gates are secure. <laughs> and, and that my shoes are not left on the porch. Oh, well. Um, well, this week we're reading chapters 48 through 54 through the theme of chaos, which seems appropriate. Mm. Speaking of chaos puppy. 
Uh, do you have a story for us for chaos? Well, less about a story and more of a pondering, as is our but way recently. I think doing a lot of ponderings. I well, like I I was thinking about chaos, and I have loads of stories about chaos and things happening in chaos. But for some reason, I really remembered when I was at school, we were I don't know, we were in physics class, and we were talking about chaos theory very briefly. And one of the teachers, she was a relief teacher, because actually this is great, because our my physics class was just chaotic all of the time. So this is oh, my yeah. year 11, year 12 physics class. I spent most of the time reading books in said class. I wrote, read the Da Vinci Code in the class. Um, <laughs> my friend and friend of the pod, Mero, at one stage had like was into tarot and was doing loads of tarot readings in the class. Oh, and we gosh. could do all this because the teacher was never there. He was in the process of trying to get his wife's citizenship to Australia, and she was actually in China. And so he was flying to China a lot. And so we were left to our own devices because he foolishly assumed that we were old enough to not require a substitute teacher. So there was very little teaching and learning going on. And at one point we all failed a test and he was genuinely shocked that every single person in the class (laughs) failed the test. But like we legit did no like learning. And then once we did have a a sub teacher and she actually normally taught biology and she was saying how she did her PhD in chaos theory. And basically she just didn't think about any decision. She just acted on impulse every time. And that was kind of what like living a year in her life like that to like not pre-think not to plan anything not to do anything to just be instinctive and so I was thinking about that because in this section you know that's basically what Glinkian tells Gansey to do she's mm-hmm. just like you got to think mm-hmm. with your heart the heart you know don't don't think overthink things and then I thought about chaos theory right so chaos theory is basically it's like the science of surprises of like non-linear and unpredictable things so it, it, yeah. the whole point of it is to teach you to expect the unexpected to find a way to kind of control the impossible so it deals yeah, with yeah. things like weather weather prediction is based in chaos theory um stock market brain states all these things that are based in fractal mathematics which i can't even begin to wrap my head around but it kind of is supposed to capture the complexity of nature mm-hmm. and then this is where the butterfly effect comes from which you will know about if, if you've ever watched any sort of time travel thing it's like don't step on a butterfly because that is the principle of chaos theory is the idea that if a butterfly flaps its wings in Mexico, it causes a hurricane in China. And, like, it may take a very long time, but the connection is real. Like, if the butterfly had not flapped its wings at just that time, the hurricane would not have happened. So any kind of small change in an initial condition could lead to massively dramatic end results, which is where in time travel it's like, be very careful, don't step on anything, because any minor yeah. change, you can move a, a box and suddenly you weren't born. You know, that's the whole thing. And most time travel shows just choose to ignore this because it's too big it's too big to conceptualize right like who knows what the long-term effects of teaching like the long-term effects of any sort of decision making is and like we want to believe in order we want to believe that there is meaning in things and a great example of this i think is the spotify algorithm which i have spoken about before which seems to play the same song over and over and over again but that is true chaos like that is true unpredictability the fact that that song keeps coming up you think that it means that it's not shuffled enough that it's not unpredictable enough but that is actually what true unpredictability is Mm -hmm. like if it had a a thing in the system that said don't play this song more than once then it's no longer a free-ranging algorithm right it's no longer a free unpredictable system and chaos is not disorder like we can't think of it as being a disordered thing and we often use that 
in that way. We'll talk about something being chaotic as being disordered, like yeah. my room is chaotic or something, but that is not what it is. Like chaos is more the transition between order and disorder. And that can be very surprising in different ways. And it's fascinating to me how we've managed to capture this and to harness this in some way. Like the stock market is one example, you know, there's no real people try to predict it but if some people just it requires a level of buy-in like people start buying stocks and then suddenly the stock goes up or people start selling and the stock goes down like you require the human buy-in for that to work and then i think about planes as well i've just been on a plane and like weather systems are so unpredictable but if we don't try and predict it we can't do things like take transatlantic flights or Mm -hmm. do any of these things but you know if you launched a bunch of balloons from my garden right now, they're going to end up in vastly different places because of that yeah. is the unpredictability of the system. And yet we try to harness these powers all the time. And it's so interesting to me because in a way, none of us have control over how our lives end up. Like we try to exert control into a certain point, but how much is how much is preordained? And I think it's really interesting to keep that in mind as we read this section because I feel like Gansey is really challenged by this as well. Like, yeah, absolutely. He's back to where it all started, and it's like how much of that is preordained? How much of that is chaos? How much of that was always meant to happen? What decisions do we make that lead us to be where we are? Would would it have always happened, or mm-hmm. is this just freak of nature? So yeah, I don't have any answers, but it's very interesting to think about. <laughs> I love this recalibrating chaos as a a dynamic state because I often think of like if I say oh my house is chaos like my mental picture of that is like stuff everywhere but my kids running through rooms (laughs) like there's movement there's activity like there's things being where they shouldn't be or maybe they're being put down or picked up like it's not it's not like what I would say if you said what well what does your house look like and I said oh it's disorderly then that's like different it's like Mm. messy but stale or stagnant so I think there's something to that. Yeah, chaos requires movement in a way, right? It needs to be, it's not a finished state, it's a transitional state. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think a lot of people are very allergic to chaos, that that in-between state, the uncertainty. I certainly am. I do not like it when I don't know what the outcome will be. Mm. Um, but this is kind of interesting because doesn't, like, Gansey is choosing the method of chaos to get to the certainty that he has. Like, he is, he's on a quest, he knows what he's doing, he just has to follow the chaotic path. Yeah, I think I like the freedom of chaos in a way because it allows you to sort of let go in a sense. Yeah, yeah. You can yeah. just like go with the flow and be like, oh, well, everything is chaotic. I'm just going to write this out. And like, I have an idea where I wanted to land, but you can't control it in the moment. And I think that's really interesting as well in this section when, you know, he, when Glenn Clan is on the roof and he's like, is it safe? And she says to him, is this how you die? Because he already knows. So if you already know, that really frees you up. And I think there's something chaotic about that as well. Like living your life like that, knowing, being like, this isn't how I die. You can yeah. do whatever you want. And I think a lot of us, a lot of us, especially when you're younger, you sort of embrace that sort of chaotic way of life. I think, especially in your like late teens, early twenties, where it's just, you're so young that death isn't real to you so you can be that chaotic yeah yeah for sure it's something that happens to other people not to you yeah shall i read our chapter summaries yes please okay so gansey is woken by the shade of noah who silently leads him to gwenclean's rooftop perch he asks her how she killed ilo gok and she tells him that she didn't overthink it she just did it he asks to hold her hand and he tells the world to show him the way to glendower a massive stag-like beast appears, and Gansey climbs down an oak tree to follow it, but it disappears. Luckily, there is a bird storm that will lead him to his king. He gets in the Camaro and goes. Ronan is woken by Blue to the news that Gansey has gone, and they need to know where he went. Ronan offers to dream something that will help find him. 
Mora and Kala offer their energy to protect him. Adam offers to scry, and Blue holds Ronan's hand, or Adam's hand. Together, they step into the dream space and find it horribly corrupted. Ronan manifests the dream as best as he can. The Camaro does Gansia solid by breaking down, allowing Henry <laughs> to find him and offer to help. Together, Henry and Gansia travel across the state toward DC, following the birds and the ley line until they arrive at the museum where Gansia, as a child, was stung to death by hornets. He comes to the conclusion that he was saved so he could find Glendower and kill the demon, and Henry finds the opening to a cave. Gansey decides to go in. Mm. Bum, bum, bum. And he does so in the dreaded Eglinby sweater. I know. So my my uh, marginalia for that is just no, written with like a hundred zeros or a hundred Yeah. I don't want it to happen, and it's going to happen, and next week's going to be very soggy. Apologies. Oh, well. We knew it was going to happen. Exactly. I love how we open the section by a ghost taking Gansey to the most chaotic person in 300 Fox Way for advice. Yep, yep, yep. She is chaotic. She's chaos personified in a lot of ways because she is also in constant motion. Like, she's constantly yeah. moving. She's constantly chattering away. She doesn't stay still. Fingers dancing in the air. Yeah. Hair full of things. I don't know. The, the I just love her more and more. I love the more of Gwen Queen that we get, especially in this book where we get some of her insights and some of her perspectives. And we see that she doesn't translate words. It, in Like, she doesn't translate her thoughts into words, much like Henry. That We saw that in the last section, right? How she, she was yelling at Artemis, but she had to keep saying, Mother, Mother, to to remind herself of what she was looking for and like she was upset that he was a coward and upset and lashing out and it's just wonderful to see how she tries to communicate and doesn't quite hit it but she knows what she's trying to say like it's there she just can't get it to come out she can't translate it mm. she makes her seem more chaotic than she might actually be yeah but isn't that what we all try to do i think like aren't we all just a chaotic tumble of thoughts and feelings and every time we try to communicate we're trying to make it in a way that other people can understand us and some of us are better at it than others but yeah our internal landscapes are always sort of chaotic although maybe some people without an internal narrative don't feel that way i don't know ask ask your husband i don't know how he thinks it's a miracle to me he's got a brain that's completely different to mine i get it but i don't get it like, mm. you can tell me, and I'm like, yes, I understand what you were saying, but my brain does not work that way, so I do not comprehend it on a cellular level. But that's fine. He's brilliant. He's good at what he does. Yeah. I do love that that Noah is, like, right next to Gansey's face, because <laughs> he's forgotten what it's like to be human. So he's, like, on this little quest to lead Gansey where he needs to go without actually, like, communicating that. But mm. Gansey knows what to do, which I think is really fantastic. Like, he is all instinct in this moment. He's he's like, well, maybe I'm just following him around as usual haunting of, of 300 Fox Way. And no, maybe he's taking me to Blue. No, we've passed Blue's door. Okay, we're going up to the attic. This is where Neve used to be. I wouldn't have gone to Neve or Gwenclean, who lives here now, for anything. But I guess now that I'm here, I'm just going to climb out of this port porthole window and onto the roof and, and see what I am here mm. to do. Mm. Like, I don't know that I would follow a ghost out onto a rooftop, even if he were my friend. I love that. Gwen Clean says to him on page 337, you know, haven't you learned yet a king act so that others will act? Because it's mirrored so beautifully by what the Grey Man's chapter was in the previous yes. section. You know, Somebody he's chosen to be, to be a king. king and mm. it's acting so that other people will do something. Like, you can't just sit around so nothing happens. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's great. And that's a method of trying to control the chaos, I guess, right? Like, it's trying to instill some sort of order to chaos. That's what the Grey Man certainly attempts to do by taking control of the situation. He's like, currently everything is chaotic and in flux and there's no predictability to it. But if I take control of the situation, I can bring some of that to it. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, she says, you know, I stopped asking how, I just did it. The head is too wise. The heart is all fire. I love that. Which I think is definitely true for her. I don't know if Gansey's heart is all fire, but it is all something. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, which I think is the real crux of this whole section on page 338, it was a far more terrifying idea to imagine how much control he really had over his life turned, how his life turned out. Easier to believe that he was a gallant ship tossed by fate to captain it himself. I think this is what we all want to believe. I think this is how we get through life in a lot of the ways. Yeah. Is to be- you, you try to believe that some other otherworldly force has got possession of your timeline, has got possession of your life, you know. It's like that thing I shared on Instagram yesterday. I don't know if you saw where I'm like, dude, does the process know we're trusting it? Like, is the process aware? <laughs> it's like, does just it? trust the process. Like, this is the whole crux of religion as well. Like, we take comfort in the fact that there is someone else in control because we surely we can't be in control i am like i'm but an impetuous teen i cannot be in control of anything (laughs) i'm just here for the ride yeah yeah i'm a passenger in this vehicle called life i mean i think to some extent that mm, is true for i think that's true for some people i don't think it's true for everybody because i know a lot of people especially parents who like their kids are a certain way they're like it's my fault i didn't do this I didn't do that. I did this while I was pregnant. Maybe I wasn't there enough. And I'm like, sometimes kids just turn out the way that they are. Mm. And environmental factors do not apply because it is just what it is. Like, I often think that, like, we maybe take a little too much responsibility for the true chaos of the universe. Yeah. Which is great as well, because then on page 341, uh, Gansey remarks of the birds, you know, these smaller birds tend to be more chaotic Mm. than the ravens. Um... But also goes on to say, as though they had gotten caught up in the spirit of the night without understanding the purpose. And I think that, again, is such a great summation of what it is to be alive. Because sometimes you just, you do things and like, I don't know, you go through the motions and you stand there and you go, why am I doing this? But this is just what we're doing. Like, you get caught up in the spirit of the moment. Yeah. In the act of living. Where sometimes I think if you stop and think about it for so for too long, you'd be like, none of this, none of what we do makes a lot of sense. But we can't yeah. think about that because then we wouldn't do anything. Yeah. Anytime I'm singing with a group of people, I feel exactly that way. Like, why are we doing this together? But it is so good to do it. And I love to do it. And it's, it's like bigger than me. Uh, something beautiful about it. <clears throat> I should go to more gigs, man. Yeah, well, at one point at this gig, I was telling you about um, he made everyone put their hands up above their heads and like this, like a triangle mm. above your head and then he made everyone twirl like ballerinas and just keep twirling so you have an entire mm. crowd just doing that because he's just like, there's just such pure joy in letting go in a group of people and it, it, knowing that it's a safe space to do so I guess because yeah. there's not enough room for play as an adult, as a grown up Seriously, a... where are the grown-up playgrounds? I want a slide that's, like, our size. I want, yeah. like, monkey bars for us. It's I like want to, like, run and play and skate and do stuff just for grown-ups. I feel like there's not enough room for chaos, for, like, being chaotic. Like, And when you are chaotic, like I often am, you know, you get labelled as dramatic. 
just because I like flinging myself on the ground. Like, what? <laughs> but, you know, like, I feel like kids are allowed to be chaotic. They're, they're allowed to just run mm. around and scream and have a great time. But you can't do that as an adult. There's no room for it. It's like we've opposed too much order on it. Yeah, yeah, if you do it, you get know. called a manic pixie dream girl and some guy follows you around for five years or whatever. And so then you have annoying. to mace him. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for a manic? Uh, we have a colleague that I regularly, to his face, refer to him as a manic pixie dream boy. <laughs> I'm like, you're such a manic pixie dream boy. Like, what are you doing? You. Yeah. You're enticing the melodramatic girls to follow you. Quit it. He wants a six-foot golf girlfriend, if anyone is uh, willing. He's great. I do recommend him, but he is a manic pixie droid boy. So. <laughs> Let's see who I can scrounge up for him. I'm sure I know some six-foot goth ladies. And if I don't, why don't I? Um, I love that the whole night around Gansey is, is chaos. As soon as he speaks his intention into the world, like, everything gets nuts. Mm. So it's the birds going crazy. It's the fact that he sees this beast that is like more of a memory of a beast than an actual beast. And then like Gwen Clean says, aren't you going to follow it? And he's like, yes, I'm going to follow it. And he like literally climbs down an oak tree, which is so very English nobility of him. And, you know, later when she appears next to Blue trying to wake Ronan up, she's got like feathers and oak leaves in her hair. And she just must look like an apparition, Gwen Clean. Like, I love yeah. that there is so much chaos, that we feel it. And there's so much urgency in this text, like, specifically this chase, because we get all of Gansey's chase, right? This is his whole section of chasing these birds and chasing, it's like the final leg of Glendower. And then you get the, like, controlled chaos of, of Henry, who appears mm. at exactly the right moment to save the day with his fancy, expensive car that works. It's frenetic. It's kinetic. It's like we were saying before, like, chaos is motion. Like, mm -hmm. this is this is the chaos. It's the point between order and disorder. Like, trying to make sense of this horrible thing that has happened. And, yeah. Trying to take control of the situation. And that is the chaos. It's the movement. But I also, yeah. I just love that everyone's involved as well. Like, yeah, you've got yeah. Gansey on his quest. But you've got his friends trying to, trying to help him however they yeah. can. And, you know, we just had this whole thing about... Gwenclean saying, like, a king does something so others will do something. And then Ronan has that great line on page 345 where he says he did not say that the only true nightmare was not being able to do something. And that this at least was something. Like, he can't just do nothing. Like, it's not in, it's not in any of their capabilities to do nothing. Even Henry, yeah. who goes into this beautiful spiel about friendship and how it's oh. just instant. You I know, he Henry. also... He's like, I wasn't stalking you. That was the implication. I did it's not put this bee on you. <laughs> friend things friendly way and, and i love that gansey worked like he really seeks to reassure him he's like no i i understand that i just i don't usually meet people who are like me who make friends this fast and and i think there's something really kind of well i, I kind of want to go on a sidebar about this but i love that this is the the parameters of their friendships is that they instantly feel that click mm. because i feel like when you do meet someone and you do vibe with them and you're like this is the person i need to collect them they need to be one of my people like you know you know you just know yeah, and Even I kind of thought it took forever for us to actually like make it happen, but we knew, right? But we knew straight away. Yeah, this mm. is the person that I want to spend time with. This is a person I can spend time with because often with me, I meet a lot of people that I don't, I don't want to spend time with them. Like I could, but I don't want to. Like you know, you don't. It's just it's going to be work. This is the thing for yeah. me. Like I don't want to work at it, which I know sounds terrible, but I have enough friends that I don't feel like I have to work for friendships. And 
Like, you know, yeah. people like yeah, you, I'm it. like, oh, yeah, great. I don't have to work at this, which is great. Thank you but for I... choosing me. I love you too. <laughs> Aww. What I also love about Henry, though, is that Gansey's prerequisite for friendship is not that he has to blend in with everyone. Like, he doesn't require that yeah. click to be with the whole friend group because Ronan and Adam do not feel this connection to Henry. And that is no. fine. Like, yeah. Blue likes him, Gansey likes him, but I think if Gansey was the only one who liked him, that would still be enough for Gansey. Like, he doesn't need yeah. everyone else to also be on board with it, and I think this is really important, and something that a lot of teenagers in particular, I think, really struggle with. Yeah. So it's a really important message that your friend, you, you don't all have to be friends with each other, but your friends need to be good for you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm, my daughter has a really good friend group right now, and they're all off to different schools, and like, one's going to the boy version of the school that my daughter will be at and then three of them are going off to another high school together so it's very much like the end of this book and I'm just a a bit sad because they're such good friends now and they like get along really well and they all have different interpersonal relationships with one another but they Mm. all mesh as a group and like it's fine it's fine it is what it is nobody could go to the same high school anyway but I do feel that like oh man this is ending for her and I'm feeling it so much it's very similar to this because they are all different. And I love friend groups like that where you just all get along. And you really only get that, I think, in like a school or a workplace. It's really hard to make that happen as an adult just independently of those, you know, thrown together environments, right? Yeah, my friend Meredith is always marveling at the fact that we're friends. And I think we probably, if we hadn't worked together, we never would have found each other. Because we are very different people. But how great. And did I even tell you we got Taylor Swift tickets? <laughs> You got Taylor Swift tickets? I'm so excited yeah. for you. Oh, that's great. Does that mean you're coming here? Yeah, it sure does. Ah, Next exciting. February. Yeah. Woo-hoo. That's great. I can't wait. We'll have to do a dinner. Yeah, definitely. I'll come visit you in the city and we can hang out and I can have a kid-free time. <laughs> yeah, a night out. Well, maybe I'll have to stay with you. I don't know. I have to think about that. <laughs> There's plenty of time. Yeah. Anyway, distracting. Um. Yeah, but, you know, like, friendships are just... They're just so interesting. And maybe they are chaotic in a way in that you can't predict who you're going to get along with. Like sometimes people say to you, oh, you should, sure. be, you should be, you should be, you should meet this person. You're going to be get on so great. And then you meet that person. You're like, why did you think? Yeah. yeah. What is it about this person that suggested that we'd be friends? Um, a lot of people do that with, to me, with people who are a lot like me. And I just want to be like, no, I don't get along with versions of me. <laughs> I really don't. I am enough me for me. Thanks. I need something terrible. different. Yeah, well, I'm too optimistic and sunshiny. So when I meet someone who's like me, I am instantly like, I have to be the nihilist here and I don't like it. (laughs) So I need need all of my, like, downer friends so that I can feel normal. Please. You need the grump. You need the grump. Yes, I am the, yes, I am the sunshine and I need the grump. So that's just my my life. I just feel very happy in my friendships. I feel very, like, loved and lovable right now. So that's good. Um, I, I love... I, I want to talk a little bit about Ronan's whole in Caveswater arc and the way that he's, like, trying to protect the unmaking. What he's making, he's trying to protect it from the demon, but he still feels something getting in, like, wiggling under his skin, which is horrifying. Yeah. Um, but he's still, like, holding fast to this idea, but he's not actually letting him think about it he's like having to think around it in order to manifest to protect it. it yeah there's something really chaotic about that about not knowing what you want or knowing what you want but not wanting to like name it because it could come true in a bad way for fear of corrupting it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's really it's a really powerful chapter from Ronan, I thought. Particularly mm. because he's also talking about these fears that are manifested in there. And, yeah. like, I love this moment when we get this thing where he describes this place that was so, you know, important for them. Caves water and how it's been corrupted and how it was all these feelings, these horrible feelings that used to be his worst feelings. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, he yes. says, you know, his use, his nightmares used to be one or two of these things. Only rarely were they all. And then he goes on on the next page. He talks about the real difference was that back then the nightmares had wanted him dead and so had Ronan. But he no longer feels that way. Like, he's healed yes. in a lot of ways. Oh, and then you I have these... drawn a lot of hearts around that. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, the demon is throwing all these horrible things at them, like, He's manif- the demons manifested Adam's dad who's screaming at him but you know Adam had been untangling himself from his real father for weeks so this duplicate was easier to resist and yeah. Ronan More is afraid of being left yeah Ronan's being left be- fear of being left behind and he's like I'm not asking him to, to stay I'm just asking him to come back you know like it's a real maturity thing for them and I think it's beautiful to see that as well because this demon would have had so much more success with like book one version of these characters oh book my two gosh. version of these characters of fighting and all of the insecurity and all of adam's like rage and impotency yeah yeah and, and ronan's nihilism and like not like self-hatred yes i mean absolutely yeah it, the, the the character arcs of these well the, the arcs of these characters has been so good as we've been through all of it like, I feel like this is one of those stories that is crafted so perfectly because you see each individual character growing and changing and as they grow and change. But, like, you buy it. You buy it. There's no... Yeah, because it's no false note. Because it doesn't feel like rapid... Like, it's almost imperceptible change. It's like, we get to this point mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah, I believe that Ronan feels this way. But there was no big, oh, moment, you know, oh, in italics, oh, where suddenly overnight he had a different change. It was just, like, book by book. Yeah, they've been solidifying around him, and he's been changing the way he sees the world and how he feels about things. Like they, mm. it's such a slow change, which I think is so true to life. Like that's why they feel so yeah. alive. I don't trust epiphanies because people don't act on them. I don't act on epiphanies. Yeah, you um, have them, but then you forget them. <laughs> yeah, or like you have an epiphany and you're like, this will change everything, but like it's not actually the epiphany. It's like the action that is meant to follow it, and people don't do that. Um, yeah. So like epiphanies are not life-changing really um unless you do something about them so i love that there are no epiphanies in this book it is just like a series of gradual realizations and a lot about intention being the way that we make our lives but also about trust i think trust of other people like it's Mm fine it's it's finding your people and trusting them to catch you because as we have said and the whole reason we have this podcast is you can't do anything in isolation like we really believe in the power of community yes and it doesn't have to be a big community like we're not talking massive like even just finding your three best friends to, and trusting them to support you and them having yeah. their own support networks like Ronan with his family and Blue with her family like all of it adds up yeah yeah it is actually wonderful I was um perusing some of the work material like some of the we have like a learning area knowledge base and I was reading through some of it. And one of the core tenets is, you know, share these experiences with the community because nobody has it all covered. And I was like, how is this designed exactly for me? Like, how is this job so perfect? This aligns so much with, like, my entire ethos. I got really excited. And then I was like, I can't believe this is happening to me that I get to work with someone who has the exact same, like, vibes. It's great. 
so good. Like, but it was literally like I could have written that line and would have mm. and probably have in the context of our podcast many times. Like, nobody has it all. You need help. Ask. Reach out. Yeah. So good. So good. Um, okay. So I love Gamzee and his magical chaotic thinking. I love that he's, like, following his heart. I love that he is, like, frantic about following these birds. Look, if I got caught in a bird storm, I would be like, I'm just going to go inside and never leave the house again. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, thank you. I also love that this chaos is really visible in its aftermath, right? So, like people are opening their doors and they're like okay the street's full of feathers this is wild what's happening like it's so noisy the whole world is screaming the ley lines freaking out I mean, the people who live on foxway must be so annoyed by all of this because this has to happen like constantly um but there's like more physical signifiers that this is happening right so like the camaro breaks down but i honestly think it's so that henry could find gansey and then when they actually get to this place, this museum where Gansey had died, he goes into the woods and he sees, like, both versions of himself at the same time. And then he comes out because Henry's like, hey, I found this thing. And it's a literal huge hole in the ground that's taken, like, a wall of the building with it. What is, it's on page 366. This was a wet, wide-open maw of an opening. All collapsed ramps of dirt spread over concrete bones and bits of furniture, the ground splitting and part of the basement falling into the resultant pit. The freshness of it made Gansey warily suspect that it had opened as a result of his command. Mm -hmm. He had asked to see the Raven King. He was being shown the way to the Raven King no matter what earth had to be moved to make that happen. So that's pretty chaotic that, like, you can just wish an opening into the ground into being. Yeah, and Henry's like, uh, they should probably put the wall back if they want to sell this house. <laughs> I missed so much of this when I was reading it the first time. I was just like, okay, they're back at the place where he died. Cool, cool, cool. But, like, slowing down and, like, really rereading this chapter, I was like, oh, it's for sale. That's why it's empty. Oh, this is why he's in there. This is how they break in. Like, I was just, like, getting getting into the action, getting into the mm. action. So I love that we are taking the time to really read through this because I'm getting so much more from and it. Henry, Henry is really funny in this moment. <laughs> so where he's like, funny. oh, this window's been broken by a Korean vandal. <laughs> Let's enter since I've already broken. Like, it's just great. And yes. I love I love people who can be calm in chaos. And I think Henry is one yeah. of them. He's obviously had a very chaotic upbringing. So he's just kind of like, eh, this is life. But also the women from 300 Foxway. Like, none of them are asking questions. They're kind of just mm. like, well, this is happening. They're sort of very used to working within yeah. the chaotic ferment. Because I think when you are the way they are, like when you are inclined to work, you know, knowing that time isn't linear being aware that you can pluck different points like meaning from different things and pluck different points of time out and like see the future or whatever that is chaos like that is working within chaos there is no yeah they're in constant flux and constant motion all the time anyway just through what they are yeah and in touch with time i think there's i have a whole section of time nonsense um where gansey is just really spinning through this time as a flat circle thing mm. um like he relives the party as he's walking through the empty house, um, there's a line on page 354. Deja vu plucked at Gansey's mind, like looking at Noah and seeing both the living and the dead version of him. Well, yeah, because like Noah is the reason that you were saved there. And like he's the reason that you got up and are now here. Um, when he says that he wants to split up from Henry, but he doesn't say why. And he thinks Henry might ask, but he's like, he didn't want to admit that it would be to make his instincts louder. Like he has to be more like he's more sensitive to that time nonsense when he's on his own. Mm. Um, and then he's so worried because they're heading back toward 
you know, DC where he grew up, his home. And he's like, oh gosh, am I just actually going to go back and find out that I have to just grow up and be a Gansey? <laughs> That's his genuine fear is that he's going to grow up and be ordinary, which is like a mood. Yeah. But there's just a lot of time nonsense, which, and oh, this one, Gansey felt as if he were the last man left alive. Yeah. Everybody got raptured. That was still one of my all-time favorite things that I said at work. I love that joke. It was more funny because the only person left was my super religious manager that I said it to. So the implication <laughs> that everyone had got raptured except for him was <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, yeah, lots of good, lots of good time nonsense. Oh, and like he's thinking about if he could turn back time would he do it and he's like oh gosh no i wouldn't because like having to go through that again living through it again learning all the hard lessons again struggling to once again ensure that he met ronan and adam noah and blue it was exhausting nerve-wracking like he wants to be where he is he wants to be in the present and i love him for that i do also wonder how much of this like why did he have to go back to where he had died like was you know was glendale always there or is this just where they decided to put the opening because this is a place that is like special and magical to gansey because it is the place of his death so they're like okay we'll put the opening there like could the opening have been anywhere but because this is the place where the initial sacrifice was made this is where the opening's going i think it must be i mean we know it's noah right so maybe noah has seen all of this and has then decided right mm. like maybe this is why noah chooses glendower because glendower is proximity or maybe it's just the way it was always going to be. I think there's something really nice and circular about it. Just reminds me of the Matrix when Neo goes to meet the Oracle the very first time. And she says, don't worry about the vase. And then he goes, what vase? And he bumps into something and he breaks it. And mm. she's like, oh yeah, what's really going to get you later is whether you would have broken it if I hadn't said anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I love that about prophecy. <laughs> yeah, I like a prophecy that is self-fulfilling. But I think because that's the only way it can be. Mm. Something about manifesting and speaking it into existence is what makes the possibility more real. And maybe this is why Gansey hasn't spoken things into existence before that, because the certainty has always been there and he's always known it. But to make it happen is a completely different form of chaos that he's not ready for. Yeah. Um, do you think it's right what meaning he makes from his death on page 365 do you think that he's right about that he says he must have been saved to find glendower mm. he must have been saved to kill this demon like is that actually true no i think that is mean i don't think so i think that is looking for meaning and meaning making when so much of life has no meaning and i think this is what we yeah. struggle with and this is the whole thing about chaos as well as like we're trying to make meaning where there is none sometimes you are just existing and i think Gansey is trying to find a bigger reason to deal with the fact that he knows he's going to die. Like, he's yeah. trying to find a way to to make that worthwhile and to make... Like, it can't just be this. Like, it can't. this can't be all it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I had the same thought. I'm like, I'm glad this is working for him. Like, this is giving him catharsis and closure. But I don't buy it. Like, I don't think that this is true. I think that the demon happened because blood was spilled on the ley line. Mm-hmm. And that is just a thing that was always going to happen, right? Like, horrible yeah. acts beget horrible acts. Um, did you have any more for connection or for chaos? 
No, I think I've covered all mine. Sort of talked around the connection stuff. But yeah, I just think that connection between the friends, obviously, very, very important. That trust, you know, even with Henry. Yeah. Mm. Especially trusting Henry. Especially the bit where he has to, he goes, can Robobie keep up with the birds? And Henry goes, I'll find out. And... Like they're they're trusting that Robo Bee will be able to see the birds and tell them where to go because they have to follow the roads. They can't just drive as the birds are flying. And there's something so they really, are connecting. I find it really beautiful that even though you know Henry obviously is very connected to Robo Bee, Robo Bee means a lot to him, translates his thoughts, all these things. But I love that there's still this connection to the Lynches as well because Niall dreamt this thing. Yeah. So even though you know they're not there, like there's a little bit of Ronan also part of this. Yes, and what is Ronan dreaming? He's thinking about this thing, and he's like, he's manifesting something that can find Benghazi quickly, and it like he's thinking of the pattern of its wings, and it's a small, light-filled thing in his hands, and I'm like, he's dreaming up Rebelby 2.0. I mean, not really, but like, you already know it's a bug, and you already know it's going to be light, and you already know it's going to be beautiful. It's always light with Ronan, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, Did you have any tangential? Um, Yeah, like, the main one is I love that this description that Gansey says the sun always shone on him. Like, he knows that he is mm-hmm. special. I already talk- talked about Henry and his whole friend thing. It's just so lovely. But there's also a bit where Adam says, we have to find Gansey. He's going to do something stupid. And Blue just go goes, I am fully aware. Like, I really <laughs> love that. Yeah, I love that Blue is rude to Gwenclean. Like, she's just so worried for Gansey that she actually is rude. And um, she actually says one of the worst, like, this is a bad word in my household. We do not ever say shut up. I don't think my kids have ever uh, heard the phrase yeah. shut up. It's a bit like, I would rather my kids said an actual bad word than to say shut up. Because I find it so rude. Um, <laughs> which is not to say that we don't ever tell them, shh, or be quiet, please. But, like, shut up is different. It's horrible. Um, so I actually was like, oh, blue. Like, <laughs> it's like she dropped the C-bomb or something. <laughs> oh my gosh it's so rude because in our house it is really like the rudest thing you could say yeah she said and then she's like i'm infinitely aware like i love infinitely aware as a line makes oh, me happy oh and i love how excited gwinkling is like yes he's doing the thing he's here to do the thing and they're all like okay well this isn't helping can you not be excited about this we're freaking can you out. go away yeah just take your six foot tall hair and go did you have any tangential um yeah a lot that we've already covered um i really love ronan on page 357 responding to the demon's whisperings by saying i'm not asking him to say stay ronan thought only to come back which is beautiful and then i also liked on page 359 gansey had never found children fun including the child he had been he had always looked to a future where he could change his own address at will a mood i never felt like i fit in with kids even though i desperately wanted to so that tracks and also, I am that I was that kid. I was like, I can't wait to be grown up. And I fully love being grown up. And also, I don't really like kids that aren't my own kids. Sorry, other kids. I'm sure you're fine. But, like, my own are clearly the best. <laughs> so, I don't, get that too. I just don't get kids. I think this is the thing with me. I don't understand how to deal with children. And, like, you know, I'll say this to my housemate who has got nieces and nephews. And she's like, I just talk to them like they're adults. I'm like, yeah, but, I mean, I don't want to talk to most adults either. So I definitely don't want to talk to kids. I just... I don't have the patience required and I don't want to make them feel bad. So I tend to just not deal with children because I don't want to like give them a complex. 
Mm. <laughs> I just don't understand kids. The good thing about kids is that most of them will just ask you questions and you can just answer them. Yeah, but not. I hate that. I hate that. I hate the questions really? that children... Yeah, I hate it. Oh. Like, I actively do not want to answer kids' questions. They, they, they serve no point or purpose. Like, I, I'm never going to see you again. Do not ask me questions. Do not perceive me. Do not talk to me. I do not exist. <laughs> I am a ghost. You could just say that. I'm a ghost. Don't talk to me. Your parents will freak out. <laughs> just haunt them instead. I know. I know it makes me a bad person, but I just, I It doesn't can't. make you a bad person. It makes you a person with a preference. I've never seen you be anything but respectful and kind to children, so. Yeah, I try not to give them, I don't want to cause them psychic damage. <laughs> and kids are very fragile. See? It's like, whatever you feel about it, you're still acting in, with love and kindness, so you're fine. Okay. You can feel how you feel about it. There are about a billion people on this planet that I would never want to talk to, but if they came to my door, I would still be polite to them, so. Yeah. Because we live in it's a community. Annoying. We live in a society. You gotta be good to people, even if they're garbage. We live We're in small. a society! <laughs> oh, so true. Um, do I think that was all my tangential? Okay. Did you have an in-depth? I have three, because I'm Ooh. super greedy, but I'm going to link them together. Okay. So I was really taken with Gwynclean's discussion with Gansey on the roof. Um, so on page 337, um, haven't you learned a king acts so that others will act? Nothing comes from nothing comes from nothing, but something makes something. And then she says, I am the daughter of a king and the daughter of a tree light, and I did something so that others would do something. That is kingly. And that ties in with... And, and then she, you know, he's like, okay, but how did you decide what to do? Or how did you kill him or something? Or how did you stab him? And she said, I stopped asking how. I just did it. The head is too wise. The heart is all fire. And then on page 349, he's thinking back on this. Or he, he refers back to it by saying, uh, he could not shake the idea that this was his only chance. His head was not thinking. His heart was thinking. So he's taking this to heart. Or he's taking this to head. Either one. Um, asking her about stabbing Iolo Gok. But... He then goes and does the chaotic thing where he, like, manifests the desire. He manifests the request. And the world shows him how to find Glendower. And then he has to follow his heart. Um, so I was thinking about this and how chaos can create action. Like, it's not, it's something we react against, right? Like, maybe there's chaos so you're trying to impose order. Or maybe there's chaos uh, because you're trying to create chaos so that there is a change and we see this with Ronan a bunch like he often mm. does something chaotic to break tension mm. or like there were times when he was like so outrageous that Adam and Gansey might have been in a fight but he would have done something that was just so horrible it offended them both and therefore mm -hmm. their fight was over so Ronan's kind of good because he is chaotic and he does this specifically to like further their relationship to like change things to like break up the stagnant mm -hmm. misery and like introduce a new element into it right so going clean similarly is a creature of chaos but it's different it's like the chaos of interrupted translation she cannot say the things she thinks in a, the way that she thinks them like henry mm -hmm. so she has to act and that causes a lot of chaos because people don't have context for it but that is better to her than say letting a war happen so I think this connection between her heart, like between hearts and minds is really fantastic and it, it really spins up in this section especially when Gansey is like realizing that he has to follow his instincts and and go off by himself like he has to make his instincts louder by being fully immersed in his own heart and mind um and like he does all of these things he does are frankly nuts but he does them like it's chaotic what he's doing but he does it because he has faith in the process 
Um, and this is kind of silly because one of the things it reminds me of is I'm still going through Story Genius by Lisa Crone, which is a book I really love. And it is a practical writing book. Like it will tell you how to write a book and how to write a good engaging book. But it also just tells you how stories work and like how the human brain is wired for story. And that's the title for other book about it. And it's actually really insightful and great. But she has this maxim that I love, which is that specifics beget specifics. And on the flip side of that, nothing begets nothing. Um, it's not really related, but her call to action about, you know, I did something so that others would do something. It really reminded me of that. And then I was thinking about how all of the something makes something happen. How like in the U.S., sometimes if you're like at a Starbucks drive through or whatever, someone will buy your coffee and then you buy the person behind you's coffee and then you do like this pay it forward chain for like hours mm -hmm. it can go on. And I don't know if that happens anywhere else but America, but I mean, sometimes it's like, it's a really lovely thing that people are just like, no, I've, someone's been generous to me. I'm going to be generous to them. I'm going to do it. Like, it's got to be chaotic for the people in the cafe, but it's also lovely in its own way. So I think going forward, it's normal for many of us to turn away from chaos, to turn toward order. But I would push back against that where possible, because I think chaos can be good. It can lead us to something new. It can give us something unexpected. Maybe we can learn something about ourselves in the process. Um, and maybe we can do something so that others can do something. So yeah, there's a bit of value in that, even if it seems confronting and scary. Aw, how lovely. There is value, I think. Bonkers. Do something so that others can do something. Yeah. Give the opportunity for action. Yeah. Create the space for action. Hmm. Important. You're not going to create a bird storm, but you know. <laughs> how about you? Did you have any end up this time? I did. So I've got two as well that I'm going to link tangentially. <laughs> um, so the first one is page 337. And it's when Gansey is on the roof with Glenclean as well. And he's looking Aww. out and he sees her sitting on the roof. And he says, is it safe? And she, she cocked her head. Is this how you die? And then the other bit is when Gansey is going to... He's at the house. The house where he had died. And he's now standing on the porch. And he's going to go out and actually go into the forest. And revisit that memory so on page 363 it says when Gansey had gone to Wales to search for Glendower he had stood at the edge of many fields like this places where battles had been fought he tried to imagine what it had been like to be there in that moment sword in hand horse beneath him men sweating and bleeding what had it been to Owen Glendower to know that he fought that they fought because you called them to so I think this relates to the theme of chaos because so much of life, as we have discussed throughout this episode, is not knowing things. It's not knowing mm. and trying to find certainty. So Gansey is afraid of so many things that he doesn't, you know, he knows his death is coming, but he also knows the manner of his death. So the fact that she says to him, you know, is this how you die? It gives him that courage and knowing that he had been to places like this previously places where chaotic things had happened and battle had happened and it still gives them a sense of certainty because there's that familiarity familiarity in that and mm. connection because he's drawing these connections right between these things like yeah it is through connection that we sort of mitigate chaos in a way what it reminds me of is i really thought of the film troy now there's a reason i want to talk about the film troy because I had to watch it a lot when I was in high school. I did my year 12. I did an essay on it. I had to study Troy in year oh, wow. 12. I did so, not know that. Yeah, so I watched it a lot and I'm very, very familiar with it, which is why it often comes up for me in moments like this. So, you know, obviously Troy is based on the Iliad. It's a modern westernized adaptation and it takes some liberties with a lot of things. Predominantly, uh, basically rewriting Patrocles' arc. 
um, and turning mm. him into Achilles' cousin, which is very weird. But never mind. We're going to gloss over that because there are bits of it that I really love. And Wait. One of- weren't they in love? Yeah, well, not in the film, they're not. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, like, he's a- I feel like there has been a book about this recently. Yeah, the song of, Ach- song of Achilles um, okay, by Madeline yeah, Minnett, okay. which is not actually recent. It came out in 2010, and it really baffles me why... More recently than the original source material, I would say. Yeah, but I feel like it's only really <laughs> become popular very recently, and I don't really understand how that happened or why that happened. So if anyone's got any intel, let me know. But yeah, because anyway, um, they're obviously... I don't know if you're familiar with the myth of Achilles, of course, is that he was a demigod, and he was thought to be immortal because he was dipped in the river Styx by his mother but she held him by his ankle and so his ankle is vulnerable and in the myth he gets shot in the ankle by an arrow and this is also why we have Achilles tendons they're named Mm -hmm. after Achilles in the film there's a beautiful scene there are a couple of great scenes that I love like firstly this film opens with this big battle that's raging and they want Achilles to fight this guy it's like a one-on-one battle to end the big battle and they send some kid to go and collect him from where he's snoozing in his tent and the kid says to him, you know, I could never do what you do. And he says, that's why no one will remember your name. This is really important to the character of Achilles because it sets him up as like really caring about honor and caring about his legacy. Because yeah. then later when he's, they go off, they mount this campaign to go and invade Troy. Achilles doesn't actually want to go. He yeah. runs into his, he's like trying to make up his mind whether he's going to go fight or not. It's not really his battle. He sees his mum, who is... Thetis. So he sees his mother on the beach. She's a sea goddess. Um, and he has this conversation about with her about whether or not you sh- should go. And she makes this prophecy that says, you know, if you stay and you don't fight the Greeks, you will... Well, don't fight with the Greeks. You will have a long life, but no one will remember your name. But if you go, you will become like this immortal... Like, everyone will know who you are, but you will die. Mm. And so he makes the decision to go because at the end of the day, it's all about his honour and his legacy and all these things. And then there's this moment, of course, where Achilles decides not to go to battle and the, the whole thing kicks off. But I think about this a lot because there is a moment where it feels that history is bigger than what is happening before you. I don't know how to explain it. Have you ever been to a place where when you just stand there, you can feel like the history around you, like just in the area? Yeah. And I yeah. feel like Greece is one of those places where there's just so much history. Like I certainly felt that way when I went to Italy. Just because so much has happened, it feels like it's seeped into the earth. Like so much blood has been spilt. So much has happened in that moment. And it creates a sense of immortality, even though you don't know maybe the individual actions or the people or everything that had happened there. There's a certain sense that just lingers. And I feel like that really comes through in the section where Gansey is standing there. He's trying to imagine that. He's trying to imagine what it felt like to be in that position. And I think Gansey, like Achilles, has this moment where he has to reckon with incoming death and knowing that death is coming, but choosing to do the thing anyway, because that is to him the honourable thing to do. He's a king. He's a king and is doing something kingly. So I think going forward, what I'm called to do is be mindful of the history of the things that we engage with. There is so much we take for granted in modern life, but nothing we have just sprung from the earth as it is like many sacrifices have led to things being the way that they are so much history and so much challenges have been overcome to give us the lives that we had and i think being a bit more mindful about how we live our lives and where our comforts and our privileges come from 
only enriches our experience and makes us more compassionate and kind people. Yeah. So I'm just called to be a bit more mindful of my own history. I love that. I can tell you so many places that I have felt that exact, like, op- not oppressive, but that, like, weight of history. Uh, the Red Hens Cave near West Head, New South Wales, is one of those places that you're like, oh my gosh, there have been people here for a very long time. And you can see there's a child's handprint up there. Mm. And so there's a child who was lifted up by their father or mother or brother or sister, and their little handprint is up on the side of that cave. Amazing. Um, And Chepstow Castle is like that for me. I was looking at the door. I love the door of Chepstow Castle. It's the oldest surviving wooden castle door in Europe, and it's probably 900 years old. And they've got it in, like, a portico now because they don't want it out in the elements, which is fair because climate change would just ruin it fast. But, yeah, it's it's an incredible door. I have an entire quilt based around that that castle door that I've been working on for about five years. But, yeah, there's a lot of places in the world. My friend Jill says that Kaledon Field is like that for her. She went to Kaledon and she was like, you could feel that, like, I just felt like I would turn around and the battle would be coming toward me. Yeah, there are places, definitely. Like, sometimes I just feel like you can dig your hand into the soil and you can feel it. You can feel that history. Yes. You can feel that sense of immensity, the sacrifice, and battlefields in particular, I think, is like that. And I don't know if that's because of the implied sacrifice that comes with battle, right? But, yeah. It's actually incredible when you stop to think about how how long we have been doing people things. Yeah, it's been a long time. And yet, in the arc of the universe, and the arc of our planet, not that long. Yeah, we're just babies. Plus, the Anthropocene is only, what, 200,000 years old, roughly? It's actually crazy. We're just I little can't, babies. It's enough to break my mind if I think about it too long. Like, that <laughs> yeah. scale, you know? It's just like, oh yeah. gosh, don't think about it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, for real. And then your lifespan is just like a drop in the ocean. It's just nothing. It's just teeny tiny. Yeah. But it's so big to us and therefore it matters. Make it matter. Exactly. Well, who would you like to spotlight this week? Got to spotlight Gansey. This is just very intense for him. And he, he knows what's coming as well. Like he he's just wheeling straight into it, embracing the chaos and just going for it. Yeah. Same. I'm also going to spotlight Gansey. I miss this every time because I don't want it to be true that all he had to do was speak it and it would become true. But I think the part that really hurt me this time was that he didn't he didn't ask Blue for help. I was just like, oh man, he really is going to do this on his own. And he asked Gwen Clean instead. I just felt so like, this is him protecting the people that he loves. It was hard. Yeah. yeah what a king. It's hard. Very kingly. Uh, do you have any homework for our readers? Do I have homework? Well, I finished... Welcome to Wrexham season two, and I highly recommend it. It gives me great joy to watch Ryan Reynolds watch football because I feel like we are the same person. I also don't know what's going on, Ryan, but you seem to enjoy it more now than I ever did. Um, What else did I do? I watched Asteroid City, which is the latest Wes Anderson. Oh, is that the one with the kids in it? Uh, Does it have kids in it? Yes, it does have kids in it. I I think it's really interesting. I think Wes Anderson is an interesting filmmaker in that he doesn't really tell stories. It's almost like he 
makes films about cinema and I, I really enjoy that I appreciate that but I can see why it wouldn't be everyone's cup of tea but I can see why actors like being in his films because if you appreciate the medium then what yeah. he's doing is really interesting so I don't know yeah it was it was a Some time of his movies are like real favorites of mine like that there are days when I feel like if I just watch Moonrise Kingdom again I will be okay it's interesting because I feel like they're very unlike anything else. It's like they have different priorities to other films. Like, I feel like other films prioritize telling a story, and I don't think that's what he does. Because <laughs> he no, also, he, it's more character-based, right? So it's all yeah. about the individual characters. It's like a portrait of them, and some of them evolve, and some of them don't. But you get them all drawn and very so well. And it's tied to how he presents them as well. Like, the cinematography is so important and to that, and it's just, it's yeah. a very interesting way of telling a story or making a movie and that's what I find interesting now like I for a very long time I did not really understand Wes Anderson but now I'm like really into what he's trying to do like puzzling yeah. him out is really fascinating to me anyway oh this is great because the Royal Tenenbaums was like my top movie for probably like eight or nine years <laughs> yeah is something I could watch like I have large portions of it memorized I try not to be like too about it because it seems very twee to be like yes I love the Royal Tenenbaums but like I really love any story about a family where they all like have grown apart and come back together in their own ways <laughs> but yeah yay love that did you have homework yeah so I um I get a Substack like weekly read newsletter thing where they like link a bunch of stuff and this week I try to read like two or three of them because I actually really like Substack and I like finding new writers to follow and I found some really great ones. Um, but this really beautiful essay called How I Met Your Mother, which is not about the TV show, um, <laughs> on the Substack Raising Miles, Miles with a Y. I will put a link in the show notes. It was just really beautiful. It was about somebody who spotted a beautiful person waiting for a train in New York and like no. didn't want to say anything because they didn't want to be that guy. But like they really wanted to say something. And then they caught the train with that person. And then they like saw them the next day and then they just were like I don't ever want to see anyone else again and I love that I love when you like meet someone and you're like this is it and it made me think of like the Gangsy and their instant friendship so Aww. highly recommend it it's a nice it's a short read and it's um he writes it as letters to his son which I think is really beautiful cute yeah so highly recommend I'll check it out okay yeah, it's a short one Next week, we'll be reading chapters 55 to 61 through the theme of disillusionment, sad times. Uh, my old friend. Yeah. Well. Well, it's going to be a lot, but I'm looking forward to going through it with you. Gird your loins. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll see you then. See ya. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash up a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 